Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast and being a part of our church family here at New Hope. Our senior pastor, Dr. Benji Kelly, is currently leading us through the entire Bible in a series called The Story. Now here's Dr. Kelly with this week's podcast. Hunger Games. Welcome to The Story. Chapter 8. We are making our way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and God has been doing an amazing thing in the life of our church. Amen? Have you done your readings for this week? Hey, that's, I love that. And now is about the time, by the way, when you think about habits, now is about the time, if you are not careful, you will start slipping on your reading. So try, try, try to stay in. And the summertime schedules change, and if you're not careful, you'll slip right out of it. Look at it this way. Summer is a great time to actually stay faithful and consistent with the readings. If you're a guest here, we have the resources in the Resource Center. We would love to have you be a part of this with us. So the Bible says, as we've been making our way through this, that the nation of Israel followed God throughout the life of Joshua and the elders who succeeded him. But a few weeks ago, we looked at how the Jews had entered the promised land And how long did they wander around in the promised land? Forty years. Some have said that would have never happened if old Moses had just asked for directions. Forty years. Or if a woman had been there, right? I mean, we're going to be talking about an amazing woman in Scripture today. Forty years they wandered around in the wilderness. And then what we find in the Scriptures is we see a turn. Happened right here in the Bible that as they entered the promised land, they failed to instill a love and devotion into the lives of the next generation, i.e., their children. Now, that just gives me a great chance to say right here today this is why we take so seriously our children's and our student ministries. Hope Town. Birth through fifth grade happens over there in that side of the building and at all the campuses. Y'all know where Hopetown happens. Our children's ministry is unbelievable at this church. We put a lot of resources and a lot of energy and a lot of talent and a lot of time into impacting the next generation. And I'm just wondering at all the campuses and here at the Durham campus, can we just honor those who serve our children faithfully? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, at fifth grade, we hand them off to Axis Student Ministry. And we're coming up on promotion day where the fifth graders will move into the sixth grade and they are in Axis. And we have Axis JV and we have Axis Varsity at all of the campuses. And those leaders put a lot of time, talent, and resources into impacting our students so that during the challenges of adolescence, The turmoil, if you will, of adolescence, our young people, hopefully, prayerfully, stay grafted to the Lord Jesus Christ and make wise decisions in their high school years as they get ready to go to college. I'm just wondering at all the campuses, can we just honor and thank all of those who serve in student ministries? Now, what we find in the Old Testament is they enter into the promised land And an entire generation kind of slips through the cracks, if you will. And the young people are no longer dialed in to the ways of God. So open your Bibles to Judges chapter 2 or in your storybook, page 103. Take those binders out. Here's that sound. I love it. Love it. Take the teaching notes. You can put them in there now or you can put them in there when you're done. Judges chapter 2, verse 10. If you love the word of the Lord, say, thank you, Lord. I'm going to be reading from page 103 in the storybook. Judges 2, verse 10. After that whole generation had gathered to their ancestors, listen closely, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. That's a sad verse. That is a, could you imagine you and I passing from this world as we know it and they look back upon New Hope Church and they say, the children, the next generation knew neither the Lord nor his ways. 
Let it never be so here. And let us never forget how important children and student ministries are in the life of our church. Amen? So what happens is when the generation turns away from God and they start worshiping the gods of Baal, which I'll explain for in just a moment, we start to see a trend. And you want to write this trend down in your teaching notes. I don't think it's in there. Disobedience leads to punishment. Everybody say that. Disobedience leads to punishment. Good job. Ready? Now, now continue with me. Followed by repentance, which leads to deliverance. Now repeat after me again from the top so you can keep taking notes and say it even as you're writing at all of our campus locations. Here we go. Disobedience leads to punishment. Followed by repentance, which leads to deliverance. Over and over and over again, they would be disobedient. And over and over and over again, there would be punishment. Now listen to me, church. We forget this in the New Testament. Punishment comes as a result of sin. Now, I like to refer to it as consequences. It's like a good parent. If your child disobeys you, you are going to punish them and there will be a consequence. If you don't, before long, you are going to have a very challenging situation on your hands. Disobedience would lead to God's punishment. When they would be punished, they would then repent. You know what repentance is? Turning from your sin, turning back to God, following God. And from that repentance comes deliverance. God would deliver them time and time again. And this is a theme that you would see rise up over and over and over again. And you start to read about this worship of the gods of Baal. Now I need to slow down because I realize some of you might not have ever heard of that. The, the word is Baal. It is, it is pronounced as we uh, spell the word Baal, B-E-L-L. -L. But in the Bible, it's the gods of Baal, B A A. El, and the gods of Baal were the, were the gods of the flesh. Lustful gods where they would worship this God and engage in the sins of the flesh. I'm talking about prostitution. I'm talking about gluttony. I'm talking about drunkenness. And this brings more powerful emphasis upon the verse from Joshua a few weeks ago. I told you it hangs in my kitchen. It's one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. Remember, we just came from the book of Joshua. But at the end of Joshua, before we get to Judges, we come upon this verse in Joshua 24, 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. Read this last part with me. Come on, really loud, really strong, ready, go. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Again, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. They started to fall into pagan worship, idolatry, the gods of Baal, which by the way, Though we don't call it Baal worship anymore, are we not a nation? Are we not a world consumed with the gods of the flesh? And the same consequences that came upon them will come upon us if we are not careful. You see, instead of standing out, instead of being in the world and not of the world, they were in the world and they blended into the world. And look at verse 12 of Joshua 2, page 103. The Bible says this, They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. Listen to this next phrase. They aroused the Lord's anger. If you're, I mean, think about that word. I love the translation there. They aroused the Lord's anger because they what, church? They what? They forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. Now, let me just explain to you again. I'm just trying to make sure we, we, we get a common vocabulary. 
I explained to you, to you a few weeks ago that the god of Asherah was the fertility god. The Ashtoreths was the pole on which they would hang these images of idolatry and worship the god of Asherah. Now listen, listen to this summary. Based upon what we've said thus far, verse 16 of Judges chapter 2, particularly 16 through 19, is an incredible summary verse of this section of the scriptures that we're going into called the Hunger Games. It's a large passage, but follow along with me. It's on page 104 in your storybook. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's command. You see it? There's the disobedience. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. Following other gods and serving and worshiping them, they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. That's a scary place to be. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. And God started to raise up judges. Now, when I say judge, an image pops in your mind. You think about a guy or a gal who sits in a big desk area, if you will, with a black robe on and presides over cases. I want you to put that image aside for just a moment and get a new image of the judges in the Old Testament. The judges in the Old Testament, yes, they presided over judicial cases, but they were military leaders, they were spiritual leaders, and they were judges in the court system, all wrapped up in one. And God started to raise up these judges. Now, here's what's cool. There are 11 men and one woman. We get to a point in the scripture where we see, I think really for the first time, a godly woman in God's narrative doing a great work for God's people. Don't get me wrong, there were women used before and now, but we see and we stumble upon a woman who has unbelievable influence in the people of God and her name is Deborah. Everybody say Deborah. Now, Deborah, I would say, was a woman of influence. Write it in. She was a woman of influence. And she was the most unlikely judge that you would think would be written into God's story. She was unlikely, first of all, because she was a woman. And in this culture, unfortunately, women were not placed in positions of leadership. And God, in God's wisdom, and here's a theme, by the way, that we're going to be talking about throughout the day. God chooses unlikely candidates. Write it down. God chooses unlikely candidates. What that means is if you see yourself as an unlikely candidate to be used by God, you are exactly the kind of person God likes to use. God doesn't call the qualified church. He qualifies the called. And some of you think that you're unqualified, you think you don't have the pedigree, you think you have the wrong gender, you think you have the wrong skin color. And I stopped by to let you know today that the Bible says the more unlikely you might look in the eyes of man, you are called, equipped, and qualified by Almighty God. Can I get an amen? amen. Reminds me of a story of a CEO who was riding on vacation with his wife in England. They were, he was from the States, a very successful CEO. They're on vacation. They're in England. And they're riding through the beautiful countryside of England. And they stop by a gas station. 
he goes in to buy a few things after he pumps his gas. And when he comes out of the gas station, he notices that his wife is over there just chattering away with the gas station attendant, if you will. They're kind of off to the side by the corner of the gas, and they're just chatting it up. And he can tell that they're having a lively, wonderful, joyful conversation. They're smiling, they're laughing, they're just kind of engaged. And he thinks, really, what's up with that? We're in England. He gets in the car and he kind of waits and he waits and he waits. And she just keeps chattering, chattering, chattering. Finally, I think she can tell he's getting a little perturbed. True story. She comes and she gets in the car with him. And he takes off and finally he says, who in the world was that? To which she said, honey, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. He was from the States too. And that was that guy you've heard me talk about that I was engaged to before I married you. Oh, if you're enjoying it that much, you haven't seen anything yet. Hold tight. That's funny. So, so he, she goes, I was engaged to him. You've heard me talk about him. That's him. All of a sudden, the air grows kind of cold in the car. And he gets a little salty, as it were. He rides for a few moments. It is silent. It is thick up in there. And finally, he goes, with a smug attitude, huh. Have you ever really thought about it? She goes, she goes, what? Thought about what? He goes, have you ever really thought about the fact that if, if you had married him, <clears throat> you'd be married to a gas station attendant? To which she goes, honey, you're crazy. If I'd married him, he'd be the CEO and your butt would be pumping gas. <laughs> to which the women right now are like, he's preaching now. He's preaching now. You better listen to him, honey. Never underestimate the power of a godly woman. Let me hear the women say amen. <laughs> and here we see it start to begin with Deborah. She is a woman of incredible influence. And in chapter 4, page 105, let's just keep going to the word today. The Bible says this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, Sisera. Now remember that name, Sisera. Remember that, okay? The commander of his army was based in Haroshoth Hagayim. Don't, don't worry about remembering that one. <laughs> Because he had 900 chariots, 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. Listen to this image. She held court under the palm of Deborah. She even had a name for her place, for her post. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. This was a woman of influence. Write this down in your teaching notes. Deborah had a close walk with the Lord. Deborah had a close walk with the Lord. And Deborah gave prophetic words that ended up becoming true because she had a close walk with the Lord. She was an amazing woman who walked with God. And as she walked with God, she gained more and more influence. Listen to me closely. If you want influence in this world, walk with God. Hello. Many of you want influence with God. Many of you want influence with humanity. If you want that, you have to walk with God. You have to walk with God from sunup to sundown. You have to stop playing games and giving God half of your life. You have to become what I used to call sold out, on fire for God, passionate about God. From your waking in the morning to the night, you lay your head down in the Word of God, praying to God. And the more you walk with God the greater influence you will have 
with God and his favor and his deliverance and with the people you work with and live with and associate with, but you got to walk with God. There's more to it than just playing church. There's more to it than just saying I'm a Christian. There is taking a stand and living for God with everything that you have in you. That's how you gain influence with God. Here's the second thing I'd say to you about Deborah. Second thing. She was respected by her people. Come on now. She was respected by her people. You, when you get influence and when you walk with God. See, many of you are trying to get influence and you're trying to get respect and you're going about it the wrong way. You're thinking people are just going to respect you because of who you are. You're thinking people are just going to respect you because of your title or because of your skin color or because of your pedigree or because of what side of the tracks you live on. No, 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 no. People will respect you. I'm talking about a godly kind of respect when you walk with God. And then when you walk with God, you get influence. And after you get influence, you get respect. Some of you just feel like Rodney Dangerfield. I, I don't get any respect. Right? You want respect. You want influence. Come on. Walk with God. Walk with God. Maybe today is the day that you say, you know what? I'm tired of giving God half of me. I'm tired of kind of, I'm tired of kind of um, straddling the fence, as it were. Let me tell you, there's nothing more exhausting in life than straddling the fence when it comes to God. Some of you are a Christian on Sunday, and maybe you're a Christian in life group. Sometimes, sometimes you're not. I hear the reports. Who knows? Um, some of you are a Christian, and some of you're a Christian when it's convenient. And you're straddling the fence. And I want to let you know what you already know. Straddling the fence is so exhausting. It's utterly exhausting. Why don't you decide today, I'm going to give God everything. I mean 100% of my waking hours, and I'm going to pray that he's even going to minister to me when I'm sleeping. I'm going to give God all the spokes of my life. I'm going to give him my recreation. I'm going to give him my relationships. I'm going to give him my vocation. I'm going to give him my sexuality. I'm going to give him my money. I'm going to give him everything. And you do that. You watch the influence that comes on your life, and you watch the respect that comes on your life. That's judge number one. And her name was what? Deborah. What a woman of God. Women, you need to walk away from here today so encouraged. There, there are no limits on you, woman of God. There is, people might try to put limits on you. No, no, no. God has lifted the limits on your life. Can I get an amen from all the women? Come on now. Here's judge number two. His name is Gideon. Gideon. He was a man of courage. If Deborah was a woman of influence and her people respected her, Gideon was a man of courage. Again, unlikely candidate. Gideon was not an out front kind of person. Let me tell you something, by the way. Being extroverted is overrated. Coming from an extrovert. Some of you are like, I'm an introvert, and I, I, I wish I wasn't an introvert. Why am I an introvert? No, no, let me tell you, extroverted is overrated. Gideon was an introvert, if you will. Gideon, some preachers like to refer to Gideon in a kind of cowardly light. I don't agree with that. I don't think that's a good interpretation of the scriptures. But make no mistake about it, he was a, a behind-the-scenes kind of guy until God got a hold of him. He, he was a man of courage. Look at what the Bible says in Judges 6, 11, page 108 in your story. Page 108 says this, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Oprah. You didn't know Oprah was in the Old Testament, did you? <laughs> that belonged to Joash, the Abazarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a where? In a where? To keep it from the Midianites. Now listen, you, you don't typically thresh wheat in a wine press. Why is Gideon doing this? He's doing this to stay out of the limelight. You, you don't do it in a wine press. You do it out in the open where the wind can blow away the chaff. The chaff. But Gideon is 
kind of behind the scenes, if you will. And in the midst of the story, write this down. God is going to move Gideon from fear to trust. From fear to what, church? This causes me to ask you this question. And I want us to linger in it for just a moment. Where do you need God to move you from fear to trust? Hello. Just think about that for a moment. See, in, in, in a group this size and at all of our campus locations, here's the question for you. Where do you need God to move you from fear to trust? And particularly, where do you need God to move you from fear to trust so that you become like Deborah? You become sold out 100% for God, committed to God from sunup to sundown. Where do you need God? Linger in it for a moment. Let the Spirit of God minister to you right now. Where do you need God to move you from fear to trust? Because Gideon was an unlikely candidate, behind the scenes, maybe introverted kind of guy, didn't like to be in the limelight. And I want you to look at verse 12 and look at how God sees him. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, let's read this next part out loud together. He said, go. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you what? Can you see yourself a mighty warrior for God? Look at your neighbor at all the campuses and say, you're a mighty warrior. There you go. There you go. To which some of you want to look back at that person and say, no, I'm not. You, you don't know me. God sees stuff in you you don't see in yourself. God, God sees stuff in you you don't see. And part of growing in the faith of Almighty God is to realize and start to see the very things that God sees in you. You are and can be a mighty warrior of almighty God. Can I get an amen? You are a mighty, mighty warrior of God. Verse 13, look at this, look at this. Let's just keep going back to the text. I love it. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. Have you ever felt like that? Have you, have you ever felt like this? Where's God? Where's the God of wonders that I've heard about? Where is he? Have you ever felt discouraged? Gideon felt inadequate. He didn't feel like he was a mighty warrior. Gideon was apprehensive because of his roots and because of his resources. His relatives weren't mighty warriors. They weren't fierce. You ever felt like you came from the wrong family? But what we find in Judges 6.16 is those five words that I told you about a few weeks ago. Remember the five words? I told you how I asked people. I told them, I said, will you share with me the lies you've been told throughout your life? What are the lies that you've been told? And I asked them, remember, to keep it to five words. Remember that? And then I shared with you how, this was just like three weeks ago. It's, it's in the Resource Center. I shared with you how there's another set of five words that make all the difference. I will be with you. Come on. I will be with you. You, you want to gird yourself up and realize you can have influence. You want to have respect. You want to you do great things for God. You have to live into this reality that God says to you, I will be with you. 616, come on, let's read it out loud together. 616, ready, go. I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites. I will be what church? And you will strike down the Midianites. In other words, listen to me. Come out of the Bible for a moment and look at me. I will be with you. Therefore, you can overcome your enemies. 
I will be with you. Therefore, you can strike down your enemies. God then calls Gideon to do the unthinkable. God calls Gideon to clean house. Not in the battle that we're going to get to, we're going to end with today. Not with that battle. No, 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 no. But first of all, God calls Gideon. If you did your reading, you know this. God called Gideon to tear down the pagan worship that his father was engaged in. And it just causes me to pause for just a moment because I know it personally and intimately. Listen to me. There will be times if you are going to walk with God closely and if you're going to gain the influence that we're talking about and the respect and the blessings and the favor and the deliverance of God, there will be times when you might just have to take a stand against family. And there will be times when you have to stand up for God in the midst of a family member or that uncle at Christmas time, if you know what I'm saying. Or some family member, it might be near, it might be far away. But whenever you are faced to stand faithful to God or faithful to family, you have to choose God even in the midst of those closest relationships. You don't do it harshly. You don't do it with arrogance. You keep your heart pure and tender. But there will be times. And this is exactly what Gideon had to do. He had to choose to be faithful to God and clean house. Even in his immediate family, it was powerful. And then chapter 6, the Bible says, go against the Midianites, but again, I will be with you. Now, I want to talk to you about a battle. That's one of the most amazing battle scenes in the entire Bible. If you read it this week, you were struck by its unbelievable witness to what God can do in the life of someone who is sold out to God. Gideon calls the tribe of Israel to come. And he collects 32,000 men to fight this battle against the Midianites. How many men? 32,000. That's a whole lot of men. Agreed? Except... The Midianites had 135,000 men. Church, that's 32,000 men against 135,000 men. So Gideon says, God, we got a problem. (laughs) God, we're a little outnumbered here. God, they've got 135,000. We've got 32. God, we're outnumbered. We don't have enough. And God says, actually, you have too many. (laughs) What? You have too many, Gideon. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell all of those who are scared, all of the sissies among you. That's that's my interpretation. That's not in the Bible. All, All of those who are scared, seriously. Tell them they can go ahead and leave. And all kinds of men said, peace out. (laughs) They looked at the odds. They said, forget that. And that 32,000 men become 22,000 men. 22,000. 10,000 said, see ya. So Gideon's like, God, what am I going to do? I just lost 10,000 men. God says, you still got too many. I love how the Bible says it. The the translation most of you are reading NIV. It's my favorite translation. Um, Throughout this passage, Gideon would look at God and say, pardon me, God? (laughs) Have you ever been up against a battle and you feel like God's calling you to step into a battle and really the best thing you can say is, excuse me, God? God says, you still got too many. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the water's edge and I want you to let the men get a drink from the water's edge. And Gideon, here's what I want you to do. For all the men who just get down there and drink and they don't look around for their enemies or anything like that, I want you to let them go. Just dismiss them from the battle. But Gideon, I want you to look and observe those men who, who as they're drinking water, they're looking out for the enemy. Those are the ones that, that we're going to go into battle with, Gideon. And so they go down there and, and they're drinking and some are just drinking, 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 totally oblivious to the enemy and what's going on. And then there are those who are drinking and they're drinking carefully and they're looking up for the enemy. And Gideon releases all of those who are not on the look, who are not 
aware, who are not engaged in the battle. In other words, God was saying to Gideon and Gideon was saying to his people, I would rather have less men and women who are diligent and on the lookout than those who are clueless. Pick back up in Judges 7, 19, page 111. We'll read 19 through 21. Gideon and the hundred men with him. Now, the, the, the 22,000 became how many? It actually turned down to 300 people. After the drinking experience, the 32,000 people became 22,000 people. When it was all said and done, Gideon was left with 300 people. Now, for those of you who are mathematicians, you might have already done the work. That's 300 to 135,000 people. 300 men to 135,000 is one Israelite for every 450. You ever feel like the odds are stacked against you? You ever feel like you're facing a battle and those are your odds? Go back to the text. I know we were just there, but we'll go back to it, verse 19 through 21. Gideon and the 100 men with him, 300, he broke them out into three camps of 100. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. Just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies, there you see the breakdown of the three. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. And they shouted, a sword for the Lord! And a sword for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying <laughs> as they fled. Wah! They tucked their tails between their legs and they ran. And one of the greatest battle scenes in the entire Bible starts to unfold. And some of you are saying, tell me more. Give me a little bit more. How did that happen? Here's how it happened. If you know your Bibles, this is how it happened. They encircled the mountains, okay? The 135,000 Midianites were down in the valley. They hear this noise in the middle of the night. It throws them into chaos and confusion. And as a result, they get up. And they think they were being invaded already by the Israelites. So they start fighting against each other. And in the darkness of the night, they kill each other. And God wins the battle. What a story. 450 to 1. And they win. Listen to me. Sometimes your enemies will destroy themselves. Oh, oh, sometimes your greatest enemies will destroy themselves if you just keep walking with God. Sometimes what you don't need to do is keep engaging your enemies. Sometimes what you just need to do is put God right in the crosshairs of your life, 100% of God, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, and you just sit back and often your enemies will defeat themselves. Why? Because when you walk with God, God handles the war. If you walk with God, God handles your greatest battles. In other words, I put it like this on the screen. I think it's in your notes. If not, you want to write it down. You and God will always make a majority. Hello. You and God will always make a majority. Church, I'm, I'm blown away when I hear Christians say things like, you know what? I could never be used by God. Are you listening to Satan who is against you or God who is for you? It blows my mind when I hear Christians say things like this. I could never get out of debt. Who are you listening to? 
Are you listening to the enemy? Are you listening to the God of Gideon? Who are you listening to? It blows my mind when I hear Christians say, we could never turn our marriage around. Who are you listening to? That is the enemy talking to you. Don't listen to the enemy who is against you. Listen to the God who is for you. You can turn your marriage around. We have great counselors that we can get you connected with. You can get out of debt. We offer classes around here on a regular basis. It blows my mind. When I hear Christians say, I could never really witness to people and, and, and share with them what God has done in my life. I'm kind of introverted. I'm kind of shy. I kind of stick to myself. Who are you listening to? You are listening to wrong voices who want to do you harm instead of the voice of the one who calls you forth and says, I will be with you. Come on now. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? You need to be a part of the Gideon army. You, come on, you need to enlist yourself in the Gideon army of 300. I was thinking about this just yesterday as I was thinking about today. And for some reason I shifted my mind toward the Christmas story. Pardon me, it's June, I know, but... If you actually read the Christmas story at a time other than Christmas, you actually glean nuggets of information that you might not have gleaned during the Christmas season. But if you just read the Christmas story in Luke's gospel, you actually find that the Christmas story is all about fear not. All about what, church? And I started asking you earlier today, what are you afraid of? In the Christmas story, there's the fear not of salvation. Right? The angel said unto them, fear not. For behold, I bring you what? Good tidings, which shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day a child in the city of David, his Savior, who is who? Christ the Lord. There's the fear not of the humanly impossible. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. There's the fear not of the unanswered prayer, if you read the Christmas story. Fear not, Zacharias, for thy power and thy prayer has been heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear a son. There's the fear not of the immediate obedience. Go back to Deborah for a moment. The obedience idea. Joseph, thou son of David, fear not, take unto thee Mary, his wife. Everybody say, fear not. fear not. One more time, fear not. fear not. Where do you need God to move you? From fear to faith. From fear to trust. Romans, come on, Romans. It's as if Paul studied Gideon and he says, well, then what shall we say in response to these things? What shall we say if God is for us? What? Who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? The response today is a song. And I'm going to ask all the worship teams at all the campuses to go ahead and make their way to the stages. And we're going to do the same here. And I want you to linger for just a moment in that question. Where do I need to move from fear to trust? Maybe you're here today again and your marriage is on the ropes. It's not what you dreamed of. Maybe you need to take your spouse's hand if he or she is with you or go home and talk about this if they are not and say, how can we move from fear to trust and what can we do in terms of obedience to save our marriage? Maybe you're here today and it's not marriage, but it's finances. 
How can I live my life and trust God with my finances, honor God with my finances, give the biblical tithe, get out of debt if I need to get out of debt, and just quit holding that little part of of my world to myself and say, God, I want to give that to you too. That takes trust. Maybe you're here and you're single. And to be honest with you, you are sick and tired of being single. You're sick and tired of going to weddings. You'd like to kind of have a wedding. I didn't expect that, but that's... All right. That's, that, that touched some people. And maybe you just need to trust God. And you say, well, I've been trusting him so many years. Don't lose faith. Maybe you need to move from the fear of being alone to the trust that God's going to provide you with a godly mate. Maybe you're about to go to college and the truth is you're just a little scared. There's fear. Maybe there's vocational decisions in your life. Does God need to move you from fear to trust? Maybe you're here and you're at one of our campuses and you know that you know that you know God is calling you to get baptized. And you're a little fearful. You've seen the videos of Pastor Benji taking people. And you need to get baptized and publicly profess your faith. You need to get out of the wine press, if you will, like Gideon, and quit being so secretive with your faith. And you need to step into the public and say, you know what? I might not be an extrovert. I might not have ever stood up and publicly professed my faith in Christ. But today, i.e. next Sunday, June 12th, I am going to step into the waters of baptism. And I'm going to quit being shy and timid with my faith. And I am going to stand up and publicly profess that I am a child of God. Saved by Jesus Christ. What are you waiting on? Next Sunday, 5.30, here at the Central Campuses, all the campuses are invited, and we are going to celebrate baptism. I'll stop giving you examples, but I could give you a lot more. But I'll let the Spirit work right now in this moment. What are you afraid of? Why don't you today, with all the strength and courage you can muster, why don't you rise up and trust God with that decision, with that action, with that relationship? Rise up. The song we're going to do and all the worship teams are in place. It's one that you've been singing louder than any song we might have ever heard you sing. It's titled, No Longer Slaves. The lyrics of this song touch you deeply. But I've been praying that today, after hearing the word of God about fear and trust, they would touch you more deeply today. Can I read a few of the lyrics to you? You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies. Here it is. Till all my fears are gone. What if you walked out of here today and all your fears were gone? Some of you are afraid of dying, by the way. You know you can live life without a fear of dying? If you don't fear God, you fear everything in life. You learn to fear God, you don't fear much of anything. Think about that. It continues, and here's the chorus, and we'll sing it over and over to all the campuses. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into your family. Your blood flows through my veins. What a great lyric. God's blood, Christ's blood from the cross flows through me. 
I'm surrounded by the arms of the Father. I'm surrounded by songs of deliverance. Then he goes, we. I love the plurality of this. We've been liberated from our bondage. We're the sons and daughters. Let us sing of our freedom. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Here's what I want us to do. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to let you stand when you want to stand. Everybody doesn't have to stand at the same time. You keep lingering in that question. Where do I need God to move me from fear to trust? You marinate in that. And when you're ready to give that area to God, when you're ready to muster up some courage and trust God with that particular area, you stand to your feet. And let's sing it maybe like we've never sung it before. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Gideon. We thank you for Deborah. We thank you for the judges of old. Father, we thank you that your patience blows our mind. God, we thank you that you call unqualified candidates such as us. You call us to step out. You call us to trust you. Father, I pray that in this moment as we sing this song, chains of slavery and bondage to fear would fall by the wayside and your people would rise up and trust you by faith, would rise up and declare, I am no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God. Let it be so in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being a part of this week's podcast. If you have any prayer requests or praises, we'd love to hear from you. Just email our pastors and staff at prayers at newhopenc.org, and we would love to pray for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of New Hope, just stop by one of our campuses or visit us online at newhopechurch.org. We hope you'll join us next week for the podcast, and thanks for being a part of our church family.